I want to share a few thoughts with you from Philippians chapter 3. We're going to hear from the Apostle Paul this morning in Philippians chapter 3. He writes, he continues to write about the resurrection. Last Sunday, we looked at 1 Corinthians 15, which is where Paul's kind of given us the why of the resurrection of Jesus. The gospel tells us what and who, but then Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 says, this is why it matters. And we looked at that last week. And, and as you look at the writings of Paul to the early churches, he could not get away from this good news that the tomb was empty and its implications for our lives. So that's where we'll be, Philippians chapter 3. Let me tell you a little bit about a young man in my youth group. I was a youth pastor in Birmingham, Alabama for a long time, and it was my first ministry position right out of college. And a new person started coming to our youth group. His name was Josh. And uh, Josh started coming about the same time I had a golf tournament coming up. Now, uh, if you don't know this about me, I, I love the game of golf. Uh, it's one of my, it's probably my, my biggest hobby. And, uh, and so I had a little golf tournament coming up, and, and Josh heard that I needed a partner. It was a two-man tournament. He heard that I needed a partner for this. And, uh, and, and he comes up to me after youth group one Wednesday night, and he says, Hey, Pastor Mark, uh, I don't know if you know this, but I play golf. And uh, I heard you need a partner for this tournament. I said, you know, I actually am looking for a, a partner. Um, and he said, well, why don't we team up? And so I take my golf pretty serious. And so I, I wanted to make sure that he was actually a, a good partner for me. And so um, I asked him a, a series of questions to make sure that, that this would, would be, you know, we'd be competitive. And I said, okay, well, tell me, first of all, how much do you play golf? He said, oh. I play golf every week. I'm like, you play golf every week? Like, how can you afford to play golf every week? But that's awesome. I'm glad that you play golf. He said, yeah, 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 yeah. I play golf every week. And so I asked a few more questions. He knew about birdies, and he knew about pars, and he knew who Tiger Woods was. And so I said, you know, I think, I think maybe this guy can play. And so, um, and so I said, yeah, you know, next Saturday, me and you, we're teaming up. The Greenbrier shootout is happening and, uh, and let's see if we can make something happen there. So Josh shows up at the Little Greenbrier Golf Course, and uh, he's got a really nice set of clubs. Like They, they actually look brand new. A uh, really nice set of clubs, and he's wearing Tiger Sunday red. He's got the black pants on with the red shirt and the black Nike hat. He's got these brand new Nike, tennis, Nike golf shoes, and I'm like, hey, we're going to be okay we're going to be okay today. Man, if you get style points, we're like the leader in the clubhouse already because Josh is outfitted, man. He's ready to go. So I was super optimistic about the day. And then on the first tee box, my optimism dropped a little bit. I saw Josh take a practice swing. I, I saw Josh struggle to hold a golf club. And all of a sudden, my optimism was, was almost nearly gone. I didn't think this was going to go very well. And my worst fears were confirmed when he took a swing on the first tee box of our tournament and he dribbled the golf ball about 15 feet forward. And he proceeded to do that for about the next 20 strokes of this 300-yard par 4. And about stroke 21, he gets the ball onto the green and uh, mercifully, we end up getting the ball in the hole and um, we went from the leader in the clubhouse by style points to the loser in the clubhouse after hole number one. There was no way we were going to be able to catch up after that. And 
Number two, hole number two was pretty much the same pattern, about 20 dribbles forward, and, you know, we eventually get the ball in the hole. The hole number three, we got it down to about 15 or 16. Um, it was just not going well, and this is exactly what happened on the fourth tee box. Josh is exasperated. He's frustrated. He, he just he can't believe things are not going well for him. And he looks at me completely serious. He says, man, Pastor Mark, real golf is so much harder than the video game. I can't make this up. Like, he was just amazed, amazed at the skills on the PS whatever it was at the time. I guess it was a 2. The skills on the PlayStation 2 did not translate over to real life. What I was doing virtually didn't translate over into the physical, real game of golf. So it was a long day, but we had a great time. And, and, and Josh continued to be a part of our youth group, and he's a passionate follower of Jesus Christ today because I did not lose my cool uh, at the golf tournament, I think. But uh, there's a similar dynamic at work as we approach this good news of Easter. Friends, what we're invited to do here in this season of, of resurrection is to accept something as true, to believe that, that in faith that the resurrection actually happened. And so we have this knowledge of, of an empty tomb. And on the, on the one hand, we're invited to, to make a cognitive head decision about the resurrection. We have the testimony of God's Word, and then we also have like historical witnesses, eyewitnesses who say, yes, I saw Jesus, the tomb is empty, I, I, I touched Him, I heard Him, I spoke with Him, Jesus did in fact raise from the dead. And of those early followers, if it was a lie, all of them willingly died for it. But the fact is, it wasn't a lie. The fact that all of them would die for it. When push come to shove, when they had the chance to renounce the story and to say that it wasn't true, all of them said, no, I can't because I've seen him, I've touched him, I've experienced it for myself. It is true. And they died for it. That, along with what the Bible says, is, is, is evidence that allows us to make what we would call a plausible leap of faith in our head to say it is at least plausible that this resurrection happened. And so it's something that we have in our head and we believe is true. My friend Josh, he had never seen a golf club. He'd never touched a golf club. He'd never swung a golf club. I promise you he had never swung a golf club. But he had enough evidence to believe that golf did exist, that a club actually could make a white sphere roll into a hole in the ground. He had enough evidence to believe that it was, in fact, true, and he did believe that it was true. And so the resurrection invites us to make a plausible leap of faith, but that's only scratching the surface of what Easter is all about. This good news of what Jesus has done in the empty tomb is inviting us to do so much more. It is an invitation, friends, to plunge your entire life into the beauty and the mystery and the power of this good news. It is an invitation to order your life by this one who has conquered the grave, to live like him, to talk like him. 
in your everyday life to reorient every priority, every desire, everything in your life around this good news that Christ's resurrection is our resurrection. Because Christ has been raised, we too will be raised. And so we are invited to live in a particular way, one that bears witness to God and one that reflects God to the world. And so we come to Philippians chapter 3. And in Philippians 3, the first part, Paul is giving a testimony of how he used to live. He describes his way of life in the Jewish traditions. He was a Pharisee. That's a pretty big deal. It means that he had all kinds of, he had heritage in the Jewish traditions, and he was following the letter of the law. And it's a very impressive resume that he lists there in verses 3 through 6 of Philippians chapter 3. But I want us to look at verse 7. After he lists this amazing resume of all the things that he's accomplished and all the things that are to his credit from being a, a faithful Pharisee in the Jewish tradition, after having an encounter with the resurrected Christ, look what happens in verse 7. He writes this, But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the, look at this, surpassing worth. He can't even put a value on it. He's just saying it's surpassing worth. It's beyond anything I can imagine of knowing Christ Jesus as my Lord. Not just knowing that the resurrection happened, but knowing this Christ. Having this resurrected Jesus reorder my life and my priorities. He's my Lord. For whose sake I have lost all things, I consider them garbage, rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. And here's his testimony. Here's our post-Easter prayer. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection of the dead. Let's make sure we understand and we compare and contrast Paul's former way of life and the way that he's now living in Christ. He, he talks about this, this way of life, and, and, and it took a lot of work and a lot of effort and a lot of preparation to achieve that in life. But having encountered Jesus and, 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 and seeing a glimpse into this surpassing greatness of being connected to Jesus, he says all of that is, is rubbish. He can't even put a value statement on the surpassing worth of knowing the resurrected Christ. The only way that he can describe how amazing it is is to say, look at my former way of life. This thing that I worked hard for, that so many other people worked hard for, the only way that I can tell you how valuable this is to know Christ and participate with Him is to tell you that all this is loss. It's garbage. It's, it's refuse. Our culture, our world puts so much value on all of this. And I'm telling you, I've encountered Jesus and it's transformed my life. And it is the most important thing in my life. I'm all in on knowing Jesus as my, as the, as my Lord. And I think about Paul walking away from his former way of life and embracing this new way of life. And, and, and the, the way that Paul's values 
have been completely reoriented. I think about that, and, and, and I do think about how blessed I am. I, I want to I I say something. Just, I, I just want to say, I, as a preference to what I'm about to say, is I consider myself to be incredibly blessed. Um, by the world standards, I, I, am, I am rich. I am, I am so blessed, and, and by the world standards, uh, I mean, the globe, by global standards, uh, so many of us in this room are, are rich. We're, we, we're blessed. We have a roof over our head. We have transportation. We have food on the table, and so I consider myself incredibly blessed. But I hear stories of people who, like, have crazy money, like incredible wealth, like super billionaires, um, Maybe, like, I think the way we would say it is, like, just stupid rich, uh, to put it in the vernacular. Just crazy amounts of money. Billionaires and super billionaires, and, 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 and their net worth has more zeros than anything we can uh, think of today. They literally have everything they could ever want on planet Earth. You dream it up, they can buy it, they can acquire it, they can create it. So I hear these stories of these super billionaires. They've got more money than they have since. And they've become discontent with all the things on Earth. And so they've decided they want to build spaceships. Let's take our money and let's build spaceships. Let's, let's pretend like, 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 like we're on Star Trek or something. And we're going to build spaceships. And we're going to gather up all our other billionaire friends and we're going to go up in space, and we're going to experience 30 seconds of zero gravity. How amazing is that? And let's burn a bunch of rocket fuel, and let's spend a bunch of money building spaceships, and we'll take all our rich buddies, and we'll be in space for like 30 seconds, and it's going to be awesome. They've got everything you could ever have on earth, but still it's not enough. They want space, and the moon, and Mars, and whatever else is out there. And so the psalmist has something to say about spaceship building, zero gravity, chasing Star Trek wannabe billionaires. The psalmist says this, Psalm 89, Remember how fleeting is my life. For what futility you have created all humanity. Who can live and not see death? Who can escape the power of the grave? Man, the psalmist is really putting it in perspective, isn't it? Hey, that's a nice spaceship. But have you read Psalm 89? Have you read this psalm of the people of God that helps you put life in perspective and helps you see how fleeting life is as well? Now, it's, it's really easy for me in this town to criticize billionaires who build spaceships, especially in Bentonville. Um, but we have a similar problem in that we attach value to things that are actually not of eternal value. We attach value to things that ultimately will not stand the test of time. They will not satisfy. And so what the resurrection of Jesus does is it helps us to understand where is surpassing worth. What is it that I need to build my life around? Rather than chasing what's ever in space, what about the relationships that I have here on earth? What about the platform I have here on earth to make a difference for the kingdom of God in the way that I live my life? And Paul had figured that out. 
Paul had figured that out because he'd come to know Christ. And by knowing Christ and this power of his resurrection, it helped put everything in perspective. He says, I didn't have a righteousness on my own. You know this word righteousness? Sometimes we think it means like moral purity, like I never do anything wrong. But really what it means in the biblical sense is a right relatedness. And so Paul's saying, in my former way of life, I was trying to achieve right relatedness with God through adherence to these customs and these laws. I was trying to to connect the chasm between where I was with humanity and where God was, and I was doing it through adherence to, to to these laws and regulations. Friends, if that's what we're trying to do, if we're trying to bridge the gap between where we are and the holiness of God, we might as well build a spaceship out of Legos. It's, it's, it's going to be about that successful. The gap is so great. The gap is so great between where we are and where God is. And so Paul says, I've come into right relatedness. This righteousness of Christ has been imparted to me because of the empty tomb Because of what Jesus has done, I'm now in right relatedness with God. And it is the thing. It is the relationship around everything else my life is going to revolve. And so look at this. He's figured this surpassing worth out. And he's praying that we will too. So look at verse 12. He says, not that I've already obtained this. Not that I have fully exhausted what it means to be in relationship with Jesus or have already arrived at my goal of Christ-likeness. But I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But here's one thing I do. I'm forgetting about what is behind me. I can't change any of that. It's in the past. I'm forgetting about what is behind me, and I'm pressing on. I'm straining toward what is ahead I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful post-Easter prayer, isn't it? Friend, do you recognize that you can't put yourself into right relationship with God by your own strength? It's only by grace, through faith, because of what God has done in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And we're invited to know this resurrected Christ this relationship that is of surpassing worth. There is nothing more valuable in your life than completely reorienting your life by this relationship with Jesus. And so Paul says, hey, I am all in. I want to know Christ. I want to know what it means to live in this power of the resurrection. He's all in. And what does it look like for us? What does it look like for us to, to go all in? In this season of Easter, we're invited to daily surrender to this good news of the resurrection. To not have it be something that just sits here in our head, and once a year we gather with the people of God and in an Easter service, we say, yeah, that's true. I'm going to check that box. It seems plausible to me. But to say... This has got to move from my head to my heart. To say this good news of the resurrection has to change who I am, has to change how I live. It has to 
affect who, who I am and, and what I do. And I want to know that more intimately. I want to know that more deeply. I want to experience that in all of its fullness. And so we're invited to daily surrender to the Lordship of Christ as we grow deeper in that. It's not something we do by our own strength, but we do it by grace and through faith. And, we, and more and more we become like Jesus. In a moment, we're going to, to celebrate baptism, but as you, as you think about these baptismal candidates that are going under the water, what's happening in their life is, is really similar to this parable. It's an old parable. It's a sort of famous parable. You may have heard it before, but it's a parable about a, a doll of salt. It sounds odd, doesn't it? But it's an interesting story that helps us put this moment in perspective. A doll of salt. Let me tell you about what happened to her. After a long pilgrimage on dry land, this doll came to the sea and discovered something she had never seen and could not possibly understand. She stood on the firm ground, a solid little doll of salt, and saw there was another ground that was mobile, insecure, noisy, strange, and unknown. She asked the sea, what are you? And it said, I am the sea. And the doll said, what is the sea? To which the answer was, it is me. Then the doll said, I cannot understand, but I want to. How can I? The sea answered, touch me. So the doll shyly put forward a foot and touched the water, and she got a strange impression that it was something that began to be knowable. She withdrew her leg, looked, and saw that her toes had gone. And she was afraid and said, Oh, but, but where is my toe? What have you done to me? And the sea said, You have given something in order to understand. Gradually the water took away small bits of the doll's salt, and the doll went farther and farther into the sea, and at every moment she had a sense of understanding more and more and yet of not being able to say exactly what the sea was. As she went deeper, she melted more and more, repeating, but, but what is the sea? But what is the sea? And then at last, a wave washed over her, completely dissolved her into the rest of the sea, and the doll said, it is I. It is I. Do you see what happens when we join our life to this resurrected Christ? More and more of us is taken up into the life of God. And this good news of resurrection begins to change every part of who we are. This is the life of faith we are invited to live. This is what it means to not only say, I believe something is true, but I'm going to allow this good news to change and to transform my life.